Hey pumpkins, it's Nick. The following episode of Copulators Die First contains spoilers about the film we are discussing this week. And if you haven't seen the film, go ahead and give it a watch. Don't worry, we'll be right here waiting for you when you're ready. Yeah, and as always, don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe on your favorite listening application. Now, on to this week's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back for this next episode. Hi. (laughs) Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm ex- extra good because I'm sitting here with our special guest today. I'm um, very excited. Yeah, my my hubby, my significant other, um, Arthur Charles Larson. Hi. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Hello. Welcome. I'm doing great. <laughs> It's really, it's really nice to finally like have you on here and like. Um, no, I've been I've been wanting to hop in with you guys, but I needed it to be a movie that really spoke to me. And you've done some good ones, but this one really has my heart. Right. Yeah. So um, it is now the the culmination of Women in Horror Month, and we were thinking of how can we end this February with a bang, and collectively we were like, we have to talk about Nancy from the Nightmare on Elm Street. And well, not the A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I know. But, I always I always do that too. And I'm like, well, it's a singular nightmare on Elm Street. But if it was the if it was the one and only nightmare, these kids would have turned out a lot better. Right. J- just to give you a little bit of a background here, uh, Arthur loves Nancy and the nightmare movie so much that he has written academic papers on the nightmare movies. Not like published. No, 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 no. But like for school. Yes. For school. So Arthur is just obsessed with Nancy. I am Nancy. He is Nancy. You are Nancy. We are Nancy. So. Right. And I mean, my obsession really is for all of the strong ladies of the slasher genre. Right. But you have. Nancy has a special place in my heart because I think she was smarter. Yeah. I think she opened the door for the smart slasher like, Lori was strong, but Nancy was smart. Yeah, Lori was still kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's circumstantial, too, right? Like, Lori had an, a minute to figure out everything. Nancy is, because Freddy plays so much with his prey, Nancy kind of has time to be smart. So anyway, before we get ahead of ourselves, um, this is how this is going to work. We're going to break the movie down. I have my notes, you have your notes, we're going to talk about all the things, and we're just going to have a wonderful, beautiful, gay old time. Yeah, so um, are you are you ready to crack into it? I mean, I am. Are you, Arthur? Let's make an omelet. Are, are you, Ooh. Ashley? I am ready, Freddy. Okay, so then let's make this, <laughs> let's make, let's make this omelet. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, low-hanging fruit. From low hanging fruits. You know what? I'll I'll take it the best I can. Any and all any and all dad jokes. Nightmare uh, on Elm Street, nineteen eighty four. That's you took the words out of my mouth. Nineteen eighty four. <laughs> Wes Craven. He- Heather Langenkamp. Robert England. Oof, my favorite. John um, Saxon. Sure. Johnny Depp. Yep. Ronnie Blakely. So John Saxon and Ronnie Blakely, you know, big seventies movie actors who kind of slummed it in the eighties. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite horror actresses, Lynn Shay from the Insidious series. Oh, right. Yeah, she has a brief. She's the. Um... Yeah, she's Nancy's teacher. Yeah. And they're, when they're reading Shakespeare and and Ohio, we have Ohio connection here. Again. Yes. Again. Yep. 
Yeah, which is weird because I'm pretty sure it's filmed in like the Chicago suburbs. I, I, uh, uh, mm. I think it was filmed in like LA. I don't think it was anything magical. No, no, no. The um, external scenes for oh. uh, yep for Nancy's house. I'm pretty sure is filmed in Chicago suburbs. Well, I think Ohio gets picked a lot for these kind of movies because it it sort of has that any town USA ness. It's sort of in the middle. It's very Midwest. As someone right. who lives here, and right. you've lived in Pittsburgh, correct? Yes, which is similar. Yeah, it's very similar. Like just hop and skip over the river. Like but it's like a state that you don't associate with any one thing. So it's kind of perfect to set a movie like this there because it's wholesome. You don't know it. That and there's no um like defining features, I would say, other than right. corn. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Which ironically children the corns in Pennsylvania, so who knew? They messed up. Uh, Pennsylvania is a really creepy state. It is. It is. It is. Really creepy. We could probably do a whole episode if I came back on which state had like what the creepiest feature of each state was. That would be really fun, actually. Oh my uh, God, Arthur! Arthur. I just had this conversation with Nick not too long ago about oh, like, right? Yeah. So we were gonna get like a map and like kind of like do a whole chuck and a dart at the dartboard and see where it lands, and that's where we're gonna pick a movie from. Right, like the United States. Yeah, because anymore. I'm pretty sure there's a movie set in every state. Well, I found a map online actually, so we'll have to talk about that offline, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, the United States of Horror coming soon, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, that eventually. That would be like next year's series for you guys. Stop, <gasps> Stop being our producer and being wonderful at it, Arthur. Thank you. Thanks for planning. I love you as a husband. <laughs> I also love you as the podcast husband. It's fine. Yeah. Thank you. It's um the special club. It is. It is. It's a um, small elite club, but yes, it's a club. Okay, so one of my favorite things um about this film is the opening credits. Oh yeah. So um I just rewatched this movie this morning. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot what happened in the beginning credits. Like I was like, wait, what? I don't remember this at all. Right. Um, but I'm glad it happens because. I feel like it definitely ties the whole movie together in a sense, being that in the opening credits we see, I guess, Freddy when he's still alive, making his claw glove. Oh, yeah. And in the credits, like, they don't list anybody in any specific order, but they show Robert England as Fred Krueger, and I thought that was... That was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well because I was like, I'm pretty sure we calls him Fred. Like, and then I was like, maybe they call him Fred in the first one, but like almost immediately they say Freddy. I think you know, I think it's easy for us. You know, history's funny, so we always absorb things with our knowledge of the past. Right. And it's so easy to dismiss the nightmare movies because they get real goofy real quick. But this first one is a straightforward horror film. I mean, yeah. it was intended, and it did scare people right but lest lest we uh not say no one here at this house of the copulators die first uh is is uh considering any of these movies goofy (laughs) well as it goes on but like the first well definitely the second one but that's a whole nother episode well that's what i'm saying so like they set up fred krueger as this sort of like He's a, it's a serious guy. Like, like somebody who lived and something terrible happened. Like, in this movie, he's a legit prowler. Like, you don't really actually see much of him. Like, he is, he's a predator. He is a prowler. He is, I think, more vicious, like, physically 
with force in the first one because then of course the i kills become the iconic thing and whatever but like in the first one like he's just killing them like he's not doing anything fancy yeah and he's and he's also all about like the thrill of the chase too right yeah like he is he is a predator well i mean and that's so it's oh what's so interesting about this particular series with me and obviously we're here to talk about the first movie Uh but like as the movies go on we kind of root for freddy well, right, because then it becomes, like, a whole personality. But at the end of the day, and I'm guilty of it, we're rooting for a child molester. Right. And um, in this movie, I mean, again, this is 1984, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt or not. But, you know, they call him a vicious child murderer in this movie. Right. Um, Which I think implies that. And I, I was going to say, yeah, I, I agree that I think it's implied, but also... A lot of the body language, especially when he's like ta- when he's like tackling and wrestling with Nancy, I feel like maybe it's more so because of our knowledge of the entire series. But I still feel like that could paint a picture of like he's he's aggressively going after this girl. He is like touching her body, like he's he's still on the hunt in that way. Yeah. I think when we look at reports of these kind of horrible things, right? Because I mean, it's a terrible thing that happens. Child molesters are traditional to other sex abusers where they like do this thing and they disappear no it's about developing a relationship it is about sort of obtaining your prey it's yeah it's also about you know grooming grooming is a big part of it and it's um you know kind of fielding what the the prey deems as acceptable behavior and kind of whittling away at their like defenses in a sense like okay starts first starts like the inappropriate jokes and that's what this whole movie is it's inappropriate jokes and pretty good imagery of him doing what he does best which is unfortunate but he does it well yeah, and, and I think the other thing to think about here is, you know, in the other movies, um, you know, his manner of killing and his quips become iconic, but all of that is really pulled from audience reaction to all the little things that happened in the first one and how they reacted to Freddy, and then they kind of up the ante in the second one. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day here... Um, you know, just like you said, the whole grooming thing, like the only character Freddie is really grooming in the first movie is Nancy. Correct. Um, and no, I, I would disagree with that. But I, I mean, he, okay. So he does. Okay. Nancy <laughs> is the character that he grooms the longest. Yeah. Because she's the final girl. Right. So okay. of course so. they're going to enact that rule of like the main female protagonist is going to be the last person to have this showdown with this predator. I think he's grooming all of them, but they all play into what he wants. Okay, but Nancy's the only one who doesn't, with the exception of maybe her boyfriend, but he's, Glenn's kind of like... A doofus. Right, and he's not really taking it as seriously. But the other kills, if you think about it, they're feeding into what he's expecting. Yeah. Their vulnerabilities, they're, they're, they're giving into the chase. Nancy's never giving in. Well, and, and, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but... I mean, for myself, I know this is true, but I think this is also why you hold Nancy in a special place in your heart. Is because from the get-go, bitch is not fucking around. She's like, no, I question authority, and I am smart, and um, I'm going to do what I think is right, and you can't tell me so, and enough is enough, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and she comes from damaged 
a damaged life and damaged home. Mm-hmm. And she uses that to parentify her friends. And she has a lot of caregiver in her. She's always more adult than she had ought to be. And she's a lot more adult than a lot of the adults in the movie. Like we see, I her, agree. We see her parenting her mom, especially towards the end when she like puts her mom to bed when she's super drunk and stuff. Oh my god! And Ronnie Blakely again, the uh, treasure. And I, that like that plays into my notes. My notes literally just say, "Why do Nancy's parents suck so bad?" Like, yeah, they do. Like well, they're totally in complete opposite sides of the spectrum. Like her dad is like extremely lawful good but he's also like he's a chaotic mess like he has no grip on what it's like to be a real parent he's very authoritative i think all the parents probably suck i mean think about tina's mom and like they just left them left her there for that yeah yeah these parents share this terrible secret and they're not acknowledging it trying to protect their kids but it doesn't work I think what could have been super interesting, and of course, uh, you know, Wes Craven's never going to hear these constructive notes, but I think it could have been. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that makes me been... sad. Yeah. Also, it's um, pretty great. I don't think he needs to No, absolutely. This movie, the mo- especially for the time, is so layered and thoughtful and fantastic. And watching it again this morning, my overall thought was, oh, this really holds up very well. Like, it's a really good movie, but... It could have been really interesting to go a little bit further, specifically with 1984 characters, for the parents to see the psychological ramifications and damage of killing Freddy Krueger and how that then trickled down to the rearing of their children a la Halloween 2018. Well, I think you're getting really deep with this. I know. I mean, this thing. this film is deep to it's a degree. Deep. They this... tried that with the remake and it failed. Oh, oh the... it did. Let's not talk about it. We saw it together, Ashley and I, and we just sat we there and like, you're like, why? why is this happening? Well, yeah. Like, Freddy works when you don't give Freddy too much back. Right. Like, to get his story in pieces like you do throughout the sequels, I think, is what works. Especially when you take him at, like, at face value. Like, right. he, he is what he is. And um, I feel like the parents being complicit to what happened to him, I feel like they should have, at some point, like, spoke to their kids about it. Be like, hey, listen, like, you know, cautionary tale. Don't take candy from strangers. And then just be like, boom, here's, like, you know... Uh, a blip about what happened to Freddy or whatever, just to give it a little more, a little more meat. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And, and Nancy's mom does apologize to her about not doing that. Uh, when Nancy tucks her into bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a very, it is, it's, it's a very thought provoking deep movie for quote unquote being a 80s slasher film because even beyond it being like a slasher film the slashing happens in a very specific manner (laughs) that that does need to have a little bit of a backstory which it does but i would agree that i think where the remake failed is they were like freddie was a man and he worked at this school and he touched all the and then like yeah they went too far into the touching the children thing right well i think with that what happens is if you if you say exactly what he's done Right. Then he's scary before he's scary, if that makes sense. Like before yes. you see him. Like before he's a monster, he's a monster. Right. Right. And, and, and I mean, that that is the thing. In the original, like, Freddy, as the movie goes on, becomes identified as a man that once was alive and whatever. But, like, he's still, 
like he's still a monster. Like at one point, Nancy does ask, I think he, she asks Glenn if, you know, you believe in the boogeyman. Um, and it goes, and then, oh, like dreams and sleeping, like boogeyman, like, hey. But it also goes back to like just the thought of like evil for evil's sake, which as, you know, longtime listeners will know, we've talked about in great detail with the in, in the Halloween episode and the, the, well, not the Halloween episode, the first episode where we discussed Halloween and the Exorcist. But also, I think, um, I think what's really effective about not giving you everything that he's done at once is it keeps that line between what's real and what's imagined yeah. exciting. Right. Because, I mean, this is that, that's what makes this movie particularly interesting about slasher films is it really, it fucks with your head about what's really happening and what's in their heads and maybe it's all in their heads or maybe it's not in their heads. And, and yeah, and, and, and you're right because, I mean, a big part of the, the, the meat of this movie sandwich is Nancy trying to figure out, like, if she is fucking crazy or not. And, and like, she's figuring out the rules of Freddy Krueger while we watch her figure out the rules. Like, we're going with her on this journey. And, you know, like, she, she pulls his hat out of the dream with her when she's having the sleep study. And it's like, wait, did that really happen or did it not? There There's all the times where... People wake up from dreams and they come out with some type of symbol of them being in the dream, whether it be their clothing slashed or they have a burn or they have a scratch or, you know, whatever. And it's thought provoking. And now I don't know where I was going with this. So I'm just speaking words. So I'm going to stop talking. I think it's really, yeah, I think those little things that happened after, like, so the scratch on her clothing or, you know, it still plays with that idea of like, maybe I'm faking this maybe this is in my head because we can rip our clothing we can right and we can manifest some of this and tina's mom does say in the beginning when she wakes up with the slashes in her clothes like you need to cut your nails right right right. (laughs) her mom is like you need to cut your fingernails or stop that kind of dreaming and it's like bitch if she could stop that kind of dreaming she would she would like i don't i don't care for it i'm not a fan right not not a fan for tina's mom's sass and and I so I will say that watching this now as a thirty year old, like I think the last time I watched this, I was probably I don't know twenty seven, twenty eight. Oh, the years! Just... You know, they they flew by real quick. But <laughs> I mean, having being married, thinking about having a family in the future, having pets that we care for. Well, in our case, it's pet. But regardless, <laughs> do not start. Luca is a fantastic Frenchie wonderful gorgeous creature and he's fine because his dreams involve him running through a field chasing what if he's running or something well then he should tell us (laughs) because he can do that my my point is um I, i did feel more compassion for the parental figures specifically nancy's mom nobody else because everybody else is douchebags but she is actively trying to help her child the best way that she sees fit being a, uh, what is the term? A functioning alcoholic. So it's just the, how you say functioning alcoholic. The how you say functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Um, but so no, but like, and, and, and I think that, like there's so many layers to this film to the point where I was sitting there and I was like, a lot of this is also like political commentary. And a lot of horror comes back to that, you know, facing things that are going on 
in the time that something comes out in a way that is digestible. But I just feel like this movie specifically is super duper like layered. Like th- this is like a seven layer cake. It's not an onion. Mm, it's, no, it's it's, it's it's more delicious and delectable than an onion. Maybe maybe like it's more like a like a cheeseburger. There are mul- there are multi layers to it that make it complete as a whole, and you enjoy it and you savor it. Seven layer dip. Arthur just said. I'm or- starving. Oh my <laughs> like- God. Yeah, yeah. I, we all are. I yeah. think this is a bad uh, a spot for the recording. Okay, all right. There we are. Um, so regardless, I think we can all establish that we are very big fans of this movie that appreciate and respect this for the piece of work that it is. Um, I mean, regardless, this is the ship that, um, you know, launched a very successful, one of the longest standing franchises in modern horror. So, um, I mean, I don't think that by the time we get to like, say five or six, that that was really ever something that Wes Craven was intending. Um, but you know, like he spawned this brainchild that was not just another, you know, get rich quick slasher flick for a production company in the, in the eighties. Like this was like a groundbreaking piece of work after new life had already been breathed into the horror franchise earlier on. Yeah, I mean, totally all of those things. I also think it, it widened the breadth of his audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly he was an established and brilliant director already at that point, or semi-established, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's impactful. It's really smart. It's... It's witty. Um, so Nancy, when she finally encounters Fred Krueger, they're, like, down in the boiler room or whatever, and she's, like, screaming at him, and she's like, who are you? He just cuts his body open and goo and maggots falls out but there's no answer like you don't actually hear him speak until at all maybe and that's funny i've always thought that was an answer i mean i mean yeah but it's not like a verbal like acknowledgement of who he is it's just kind of like represents decay he represents what's left over i mean you know he's he's the remnants of something terrible yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that, but I just like, you know, I want to put a put a name to the face of the things that give me nightmares. You yeah. know what I mean? But I, I think that's part of his game. That's what right. makes him so smart. And also, he looks at his he looks at his victim. He thinks about what her strengths and her weaknesses are. Yeah, I mean, he he never gave Nancy his name. She figured it out because of all the other external hullabaloo that was happening outside of the dreams, but. Um, I think it is, like, cool to kind of think of Freddy as, like, condensed evil, you know? Like, Absolutely. Um, he's the cream of mushroom soup. Yeah. Probably as good for you as that is. It's just, it's it's really well done. It's so smart, and it's just, it's it's frightening, but it's also entertaining. It just, it walks a lot of nice balances and lines. Yeah. It is very masterful. And watching it again today was just as much of a treat as it was the first time I saw it, um, which is not always the case with horror movies. And it's also a really good snapshot of the time. Like, like this was 1984, using the best graphics available, using the best um, effects available. And even beyond that, also 
using what they had at their disposal to the best that they could because, um, you know, the, the budget was not humongous on the first one. They made a lot more money than they used to make the movie on the first one. And shout out to uh, Never Sleep Again, a documentary on the creation of the Nightmare, A Nightmare on Elm Street series um, because it's really, really good. Yeah, it's like it's like a three or four hour I think it's more than sit that. through, but it's spectacular. It's like like you want to watch the whole thing. Like it's super duper good, and they go into so much detail, and they really do have like everyone involved in every movie. And so some of the stuff we're gonna pull factually. Is oh, absolutely, definitely come from there. Absolutely, Lord, shut up. Um, <laughs> so what I think is also it is a great snapshot of the time, but it's also done in such a way that it's almost kind of timeless. It is like these kids are sort of any ragtag group of teens. They could be from the eighties. They could be yeah. from the fifties. It's even their cars are a little older. I just feel like they purposely mm-hmm. paint this sort of Norman Rockwell. Like it's 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 typical actual like America. Like it's not it's not like this is 1950s America and these are like you know upper class white people or things like that. Right. And I just think it tells a. I think it it, it presents a really compelling snapshot. Yeah, and and I think one of the other things that I really appreciated about it watching it again is like the first. 20 minutes like there's no quote-unquote horror action except for tina going through that first dream sequence in the beginning the four the four teenagers nancy and glenn and tina and rod like interacting and being at each other's homes and just hanging out and being friends and talking about life like it's it's very genuine like it's not forced it's not like hey dude bro we're gonna go to the beach this weekend like we're gonna take your dad's car and we're gonna we're gonna go on the long winding road where we might pop a tire and then have to go in the woods like it's there's no setup like they're just living their lives and so yeah regardless yeah you couldn't sit there and be like don't go in there right there's none of that right right right. there's none of that there's no there's no time for it like you Like, you're either, you're gonna sleep and die, or you're gonna stay awake and go fucking crazy. Um, This whole movie is very reactionary to the situation, which is not always the case. Because there's usually, like, the, there was a, you know, a sound in the basement, let me go check it out. And it's like, you had a conscious choice to say, I'm gonna go in the basement, or I'm gonna be smart and not. And... Like, a part of the intelligence of a lot of the characters of horror movies can be stripped away to push on the story and to get to the gross bad stuff. And that's not what happened here. Like, Nancy reacts to the situation. She's absorbing the information. She's figuring out what the hell is going on. Like, she never... Like, she thrusts herself into Freddy's world in the dreams, but only really to be a detective as to what is happening and who is killing her friends. But also what I think, and I think Russ Craven does this better than a lot of people is, you know, usually in a horror movie, we're watching the events of like a 12 or 24 hour period unfold. Right. Yeah. Because it's instantaneous. Yeah. Killers chasing you, whatever it is chasing you. This is days. Yeah. This might be weeks even. Right. Of a life. Yeah. So there's just the, the, anxiety that comes with going through this right. for a prolonged period. Right. And you can feel that. I think and Nancy really embodies that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And like she goes back to school the next day after Tina dies, but like then there's that stretch of time where like her mom is like you need to lay off the coffee. Her mom like forces the coffee out of her room, but little does she know she has another coffee machine under her table. Hey, um <laughs> 
But like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day here, I am Nancy, you are Nancy, we are Nancy. The reason I keep saying this <laughs> is because there is a song called I Am Nancy on the soundtrack to A Nightmare on Elm Street. No. What? That song's not from A Nightmare on Elm Street. I thought you said it was. No, it's... Is it a fan song? No. So I Am Nancy is <laughs> okay. a documentary that Heather Langenkamp produced oh. in the mid-2000s. About Nancy. About sort of the culture of being the Nancy the final in girl. the horror fandom, the final girl, and what that looks like in terms of how you're acknowledged and how you're respected and how you exist in the cons and all this sort of stuff. Oh, okay. And then this sort of awful song, I'm sorry. It's pretty... It's not great. Yeah. Um, we could probably use it because she would never know to like hunt you down for licensing fees. Oh, she might. The internet has ways. Right, but her licensing fee might be 25 cents. I'm just... Well, but if regardless, if you're on Spotify or whatever your device is, look her up. Look it up. I am Nancy. Like literally, just search "I am Nancy," and it's the only thing that's going to come up. Here I am, a master's educated person, thinking that this fucking song was from the actual soundtrack to this movie. Well, regardless, you guys were going in a weird direction and like pulling like a Beatles tune of "I am the Walrus," and I was like, "Oh, this is not okay." I'm the Walrus. Um, Um. so, so I apologize for the, the I am the walrus tune for yeah. an I am an I am Nancy. Oh no, it goes something like I am Nancy. That's where you stop. We don't want her suing. <laughs> Shut up. We but can't afford the rights for a long time. Um, just her repeating that. And um, it has like an 80s feel to it, but it, it's definitely contemporary. And the documentary is worth checking out. Uh-huh. Um, when I discovered it, and I don't know if this is still the case. Um, you could order it directly from Heather Langenkamp, and she would like for an extra five bucks autograph it. So I got one for my best friend for Christmas a couple years ago that said something like, "Dear James, never sleep again. Love <gasps> Heather Langenkamp." That's fantastic. But I mean, so anyway, I mean, regardless of all of that, the reason that I'm so like on the I am Nancy thing is because, especially for the queer community, where we're looking for powerful people to look upon as idols um, and mentors uh, and people to look up to the idea of Nancy being a strong, powerful, independent, not even woman, but person, but specifically in this context, definitely woman because she's going up against misogyny in her father and just like all these things, the powerful female is like something to be worshiped. And like Nancy is that, so I strive to be Nancy. But also sidebar in uh-huh. like in the um, community that we subscribe to, um, a Nancy is typically a derogatory term. Yes, and that is true. Yes, the Nancy boy, right? Uh, right, and that takes me to subsection B. Of, <laughs> of, I didn't know of, this was like such a lecture series. I, this is the I, first time it's becoming one, but I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it. I feel like this movie is just so all-encompassing, like on a sociological level and like on a psychological level, um, that it's fine and we can go there and no one's gonna hate it. And if they hate it, sucks. It's our podcast, not yours. But exactly. Um, this also takes me to subsection B, article two of um. What's his name? Rob? The guy that's uh, Tina's boyfriend? Oh, Rod. 
Rod. Rod. Rod. He's like meeting Nancy in a bush. And yeah. he's like in his um his runaway gear of no shoes. Well, What's he's up? On the run from Tina's death. And... Literally on the run. He's on the lamb, which is funny because they don't they show a lamb at some point too? Okay. Like yeah. imagery? Oh. Oh, is it a lamb? It's a lamb or a goat in the beginning. Yeah, something, something. I would eat in a curry. I don't know which. Yes. Um, yeah. but like he's like, "What do you think I am? Some sort of fruitcake?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah. come on, 1984." He can get it. He's got that's good where, hair. That's that's where he went, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I expected nothing less. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a dark-haired bad boy. I mean, you married a dark-haired fella. He did, <laughs> but I, I, I married the least bad boy ever. He thought he was marrying like. An Italian, you know, like big family, seven fishes on New, uh, not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, all that shit. He did not know what he was signing up for. No, he was signing up for um, Mr. Hot Pockets of Staten Island, Mr. 2019. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I get like Gordon's fish sticks on Christmas Eve. That's my seven fishes. Did you know pizza? It's not delivery. Girl, I, I heard about your egg salad the other night. Don't play. Ugh, Arthur never made the egg salad. What I a shame. Salad. I will make egg salad. I did make the tuna salad for Arthur, though. And oh, that's it. what it was. It was the tuna salad. My apologies. No, it's okay. They're both mayonnaise-based salads. It's fine. So I was obviously out. Yeah. But I feel like... Let's, let's pivot here. That was a really good, just, like, beginning exposure, discussion. Like, let's... Let's get into this. Let's have a kiki. Let's break this down. Oh, yes. Let's have a kiki, darling. Okay. So <sighs> Arthur's, I don't know if Arthur, Arthur came for the comedy and he's got none so far. So he's like, what is going on? He's like, sign me out. I'm going to go do homework. Yeah. No, you can't. You're trapped now. So too bad. <laughs> so Tina's a mess. Um, Rod is a mess. They're they're quippy and they're funny and in the beginning you kind of can't really tell where the relationship stands because he's like trying to get it and she's like nah uh uh-uh. uh and then like he does and you're like oh that that took a weird turn well right and like so yeah we're talking about Rod getting it like <laughs> like Tina Tina was like only semi about it and then like Rod was like kind of you know fondling her putting his hand over her mouth all that stuff. And, like, given her life situation, I totally get she's probably attracted to the bad boy and all that. But, like, Rod's gross. I'm not a big fan of him. Um, and, yeah, she let him have it. But, like, I, like she clearly enjoyed herself. I don't know. Maybe she should have just been, like, not as complacent in the situation. I'm not insinuating anything. It was definitely consensual. But, like, girl, you're talking about, like... You're scared for your life. You have your friends come over because you don't want to sleep by yourself. And then, like, your aggressive semi-boyfriend comes over and you're like, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to get a dick down. You just, you know, sit in my living room and listen to the party and thanks for coming to the party. Like, what? Literally, thanks for coming. Ugh. Gross. (laughs) Yeah, but also, like, that comes back to, you know, Wes Craven rule number one. Like, copulators die first. Hi, that's what we're all about. I mean, Um, hadn't she got the dick, she would have been probably alive a little bit longer. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say she would live, but I'm saying um, she probably would have lasted more than 15 minutes of fame. There is one line that I really enjoy right after the sex scene. Well, not the sex scene, but, like, right. the, the sex noises. There was a lot of noises. And Glenn says something like, ugh, uh, 
it's gross to be nice or something like that. Like something along the lines of like being the good guy doesn't always pay off or whatever. Cause you know, he wanted some too, but Nancy was like, no, I am here to help my friend. Um, mind you, she went to sleep, so it doesn't matter. We're not getting into that, but, um, <laughs> continuity, Tina, Tina turns to Rod and, and she goes, uh, jungle man fixed Jane. Oh, yeah. And, I'm just like, what an interesting one-liner. As as the title of our podcast goes, copulators die first. Um, Tina falls asleep. There's like all that tapping on her window. Um, clearly, it's Freddie trying to get her outside. But this is like in the dreamscape world now. It's not like her real life. And 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 then really one of the first effects that we see in the movie is Freddie's arm stretching across the alleyway and him like scratching on the metal. Yeah, we get the sense of him taking up the space, right? Because he's not a big man. He's Freddie. He's kind of smaller and he has this weird gait to him and you know, then he says this is God with his claw. Yeah, that was yeah. um you know, it's clearly he's he's very power driven. And even the weapon choice, like this claw, like instead of just using a knife, he had to make something that he could that could be an extension of him. And it's and, and that in itself, the, the idea of the claw is predatory. Um, right. And there's also, there's a lot of uh, religious imagery in this movie where, you know, like he, he's saying, this is God. There's that cross on the wall of Tina's And on bedroom. Tina's neck, she wears the crucifix. Yeah. Um, and like before Nancy goes into the final dream confrontation, like she prays. So, you know, more subtext to, you know. Well, I mean, that's out. always it, right? It's always good versus evil. And what better way to define those than sides than religion? Like God and the monster. Uh-huh. God and the devil. The ultimate stance of good and evil is using some sort of, you know, divine entity of whatever exists out there metaphysically. I don't know. I don't know anybody's beliefs or what they believe in. But, like, yeah, that's, like, the ultimate awesome. symbol of, like, you know, some sort of divine authority that's going to protect you. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, is Freddy not some type of, quote, divine force, in a sense, coming back to get what he feels is, like, what is due him? But he's I mean, not a divine force in the sense that he wants his cha-cha heels. Like, it's a different design. Right, not, yes. not the cha-cha heels. But both are owned by New Line Cinema. So there's your connection. Really? Oh, there it is. There's our six degrees of, uh, you know... Divine, I guess. Or divine. Yeah, think them. Again, a show I would love to be a part of. Six Degrees of Divine. Yes, that is something you would love to be a part of. But, um, I mean, yeah, and I I think that the idea of Freddy feeling like he is this vengeance force coming back to, uh, you know, get back at those who killed him doesn't really fully develop until, like, really the third film, when we get the, the whole idea of, like, the Elm Street children. Right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's its own. I think you do each movie in its own hour. Anyway, so so back to the movie. In the context of the first film, though, I mean, he's certainly playing with his desire for power, his desire to be omnipotent, right. his desire to get what he thinks is his. Right, and, and, and dare I say to him, the whole act of, you know, chasing the prey the whole methodicalness of terrorizing these people before he really pounces 
is like so super delicious to him. Like it's like really probably him getting, you know, a thrill that's not just like adrenaline spike. Like this is probably almost sexual to him. Oh yeah, there is like a super sexual, like hypersexual element to this. And like this film, in my opinion, has some of the most iconic imagery that I've seen in cinema. Like Tina's sluggy body bag getting like dragged through the hallway that's one of like my favorite things about this film is that they're not afraid to use their budget where they deem that it needs a little more beefing up like yes i want a gross ass blood trail i want so much blood in this movie like in tina's death i'm like holy shit that's at least you know 15 gallons of fake blood like they're really really trying to drive home the fact that this guy he's not just doing it for the kill he's doing it because there's an element of probably like a sexual satisfaction on his end yeah like he's enjoying this a lot right and that's why he's so showy about it there's a showmanship because you can't catch him right um or at least not in this one so um first real true death scene tina is stalked and then killed so she goes outside goes down the alleyway we see the extendable arms and then basically he pounces on her like right outside her house and this is when we see the whole what's happening in the dream happening in the real world thing for the first time where you know like she's getting attacked and cut and bleeding and dying but we don't see anything other than that happening and she's you know like going up on the ceiling and all the blood is happening and rod is just kind of screaming helplessly because what would you do in that situation like what is happening fun fact about this scene from the never sleep again like a big part of their budget was spent on making one of those like 360 rooms yeah so they taped this scene in the room and then they also taped glenn's death scene in this room but we'll get to that when we get to that there's a whole bunch of other and they also saved this room and used it in the 80s movie break-in about breakdancing Oh, right. Which I'm sure is horrific in its own ways. Yeah. They had to clean a lot of blood off that thing before they used it, though, then. Probably had to power wash the shit out of that. That's it. Gross. Nothing can stop 80s breakdancing. Not even blood. Not (laughs) not even blood. That's the Um, tagline. It might have been more successful had that worked. Yeah. I feel like we watched that for some reason, that movie about the breakdancing. I did not. <laughs> you may I, I, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it till just now. Is there, is there a nightmare on Elm Street where there's a breakdancer? Oh, no. I don't know. Mm. I mean, that's very 80s, so I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, kind of. No, there's the karate scene. Okay, so I'm just, I don't know. I think I'm getting a lot of 80s mixed up in my head right now, like mashed potatoes. But um, <laughs> it's fine. We're, we're just going to pretend I didn't say that. Um, anyway, so Tina is dead. Rod's like, I don't know what happened. But, like, ultimately, Nancy comes into the room, and all she sees is Tina's body lot of blood everywhere and rod cowering in the corner and i'm not gonna lie to you i did chuckle a little bit when tina is getting flung around the room 
And Rod gets, like, headbutted by her. But so uh, I do know that for the actress that played Tina, like, this scene was very taxing on her. Um, And then also the body bag scene. She was in a real body bag. Covered with real Covered with... And then when, when we see her again in the body bag with the bugs coming out of her mouth and stuff, those were all real bugs as well. Yuck. Gross. And it was freezing, and it was. It sounds like it was really horrific. So yeah. So I mean, like, really, like, props to you for committing to the role, like, really full time, one hundred and ten percent, like cowbell turned up to eleven. So we conjointly at Copulators Die First would like to thank Mr. Arthur Larson for his contributions to this episode but he's a busy fella and he's gotta you know gotta get down with the homeworks i do i i'm a graduate student in social work (laughs) yeah or Um, i can help young women like nancy that's very true (laughs) or you can become a woman like nancy right i'm into that i i wish i'll never be half the woman nancy is right so um arthur my husband i appreciate you for coming on i appreciate um, and being our uh, human accessory for this episode. I will I'll gladly be uh, arm candy for you guys anytime. Okay. Well, I just I know you wanted to talk about Nancy because you love Nancy. I do love Nancy. I will always love Nancy. Um, okay. So I'll bye. See you guys later. Have fun. Thanks, Arthur. Bye. So All can right, we so- um, can we use the uh, hashtag for this episode? Um, Nancy is helping Nancy's. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So where were we before Arthur had to go do homework? We were still talking about... Um, we're talking about Rod. We're talking about Rod. Right, so um, he's in the bedroom. Yeah, he's in the bedroom. He's cowering in the corner. Glenn and Nancy show up, and they're like, oh my god, what the fuck is going on? Because there's just blood in a body, and bad boy Rod is just, like, cowering in fear. Because he just saw the person that he was just boinking, just totally and completely torn to shreds. Right. Yeah. So that's, I'm sure that's a boner killer. Um, Literally. Like, I mean, he was probably ready to go for round two and round two got canceled. It did because fucking Nancy spoiled the plans again. I mean, that's also a very recurring theme here. Like, um, Nancy is very much a buzzkill for um, Freddie. I'm sure yeah, she's that... she's like totally a cock block in many many instances in this film. Yeah, she's she she's a murder cock block. Literally a murder block? Murder block. Um so that's Nancy's like sub sub title, <laughs> you know. She's a murder cock block. Um <laughs> right. So now um we are introduced to Nancy's parents um in a very awkward exchange in the police precinct um we find out that nancy's father is the police chief her parents call each other by their first names really awkwardly and it's like oh i get it they're not happy in this marriage so it's like nancy's mom basically doesn't have anybody to depend on other than nancy and i get the like the necessity of you know, her dad's job and, like, his role as, like, an authoritarian. But, like, that that dude has, like, I don't know. He just has, like, an air of, like, just being a general asshole. Yeah, and, like, also, he's, like, he's never home. Like, her mom is basically a single parent. Like, I'm sure it's a lot of work to be a police officer, especially a police chief. But, like, 
he's actively choosing not to go home at night, you know? Right. Um, he's choosing his career over his family. And that's like a really hard pill to swallow. You know what I mean? Especially yeah, from a spouse's point of view and a child's point of view. So in that instance, like Nancy and her mom kind of have changed <coughs> this like special bond of like cohabitating solely with each other. And like from this moment where her father walks into the office where they're sitting and like Nancy is like, just trying to explain what they saw and her father is like questioning every word coming out of her mouth. Like she immediately like boom becomes a boss ass bitch. Like, Oh yeah. And I think that plays on what Arthur was saying, or was it you who said that like, you know, she's very much like paternal to her friends. Like she's got to like stand up and like, you know, hashtag Nancy's helping Nancy's. So she is, um, really gonna fucking like fight for her friends the best of her ability and she's especially gonna fight for herself because she needs to ain't nobody gonna be looking out for her like glenn's Um, kind of like glenn's like supportive in the sense like he realized that something is internally plaguing her but like he's he's kind of like placating her in a sense like uh i i i feel for you because you're frightened but You're experiencing something that, you know, he doesn't explicitly experience himself toward until like almost the very end. Right. And like and like, honestly, like Glenn is nice. Like he's a supportive ish boyfriend, but like he's ultimately useless, like mass produced, like vanilla ice cream or something like he's fine. But like there's plenty of other better options. Right, he's just like I mean, it's Johnny Depp, and this was yeah. like his his debut, and he kind of, um, he's just there for looks. He's a looks queen, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's in that little like belly shirt when he gets killed and stuff. Like, come on, he had that little like fuzzy belly. Like, I'm sure all the girls were like flooding their basements for that at the time. Oh yeah, and he had that. He had gorgeous hair because it was the '80s. He had like it that good hair, yeah. You know, floofy mop top. He you know, dressed well. I mean, considerably. I mean, he's clearly not my type. Hi. But <laughs> um, but I see the physical appeal that, like, young women in the 80s would have towards him. This was right around the time where he started doing 21 Jump Street. And, like, he was he was a an it name, like an up-and-coming fella. In the sense of him being a supportive boyfriend, not so great. What else is up with Johnny Depp? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of substance there, really. I mean, I do love how he's supposed to be the, quote, jock character, but he's, like, kind of scrawny and stuff. Yeah, and isn't he, like, reading, like, a lot, too? Um, I'm not sure about the... I mean, he does a lot of listening to records while watching television, um, which... I agree with his mother. Like, what's the point of watching the television if you're not listening to what's going on in the television? And I know that he was talking about how there's, like, some female pageant on, so it's just all eye candy or whatever. But, like, I couldn't do that. Like, if, No. Yeah, I would need to hear what was going on. I um, had too much ADD for that to occur. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, that's a lot of stimulus all at once. It's, like, overload for me. I couldn't. I couldn't too do much. it. Too much, please abort mission, like, whatever. Um, Okay, so Nancy is now a boss-ass bitch because she's like, Father, you're an asshole. No, I will not listen to you. I will go my own way. I am Nancy. 
etc. <laughs> Hear me roar. I'm and like, happy. <laughs> no, we can't afford it. So, um, we're like, we're like fast tracking it. And Nancy's, Nancy's next on the chopping block, man. Like, she's confronted head on with like the inability almost immediately to deal with her friend's death. Because, hi, she's literally in school the next day, eight hours later, like, nothing happened, basically. Like, I, she was like, I just need to go, because if I'm here thinking about it, like, you're gonna go nuts. Trust me, I've been there. Yeah, and, like, yeah, I can appreciate wanting the normalcy of it. Um, yeah, because they're in, in the process of grieving, there is no real normalcy. So you kind of have to take it for what it's worth. So she's, you know, doing her thing. She's going to class. And then she falls in, falls asleep in class. Oopsie doodles. She falls asleep. Um, and then, and this is where we see Tina in the body bag whispering Nancy very creepily for the first time. And as she falls asleep, the kid that was reciting the Shakespeare, like he starts creepily whispering it and stuff. And another tidbit from the Never Sleep Again documentary, apparently... When they filmed this scene, after they were done filming, everybody gave that kid a standing ovation because it was so creepy. Ooh, good for him. I don't yeah. know. Who he, I don't know who he is, but like um, tertiary to that, you know, in her nightmare, she's getting harassed by stripy sweater hall monitor. Yeah, where where's your hall pass? What Split a your pass! What a bitch, man. Like, I'm really glad when we were in school we didn't have a hall monitor. That just seems like such a poor use of a student's time. (laughs) This is true, because they should probably be in class, right? Like, I don't know how that Um, works. um, It might have been from a study hall point of view. Mm-hmm. Like that's like during her study hall time block, like she was assigned or something along those lines of like, hey, this is my free free period and I have to hall monitor. But I mean, it doesn't matter because she was Freddy Krueger because of the sweater, like that gave it away. And then like that cool, that cool voice changey thing. Yeah, that she did. I was into that. That's very good use of effects. And just like really good use of effects overall in this movie. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think that one of the best physical effects like ever and the physical one is still more effective than the CGI one in the remake is just Freddy Krueger pushing through the wall when Nancy's sleeping at Tina's house. Like it's, oh, it's so, so good. good. It's like um, it's visually appealing. It's visually effective. It's creepy as fuck. Um, it's so it was good. it was probably done on a like very low budge in that sense. Yeah. Like they probably didn't have to use too much to achieve that effect. Like it was probably just stretchy fabric, and he yeah. stretched the fabric with his face and stuff. Like that's I mean, fantastic. it's the it's the eighties. There was probably like a ton of spandex. Oh, <laughs> I can guarantee you there was plenty of spandex lying around. Oh yes, and I mean, and in the hallway, one of my favorite lines of nancy's is when she looks at the hall monitor and she goes screw your pass and then she just keeps walking yeah yeah ass bitch yeah she is giving no fucks get out of her way i do also love how in the beginning of the movie her hair is not as voluminous as it is after tina dies and then she starts on her little detective spree to figure out what's going on like her hair gets a lot bigger um and it looks a lot better a lot bigger Yes. Um, I don't bigger, know. Bigger is, is better. 
Yeah, and like, so like, I don't know if that happened by accident. I don't know if that was an intentional choice, but either way, I appreciate it a lot. So there's that. And then I also love how in all of the dream sequences, regardless of where Nancy is, whatever path she's taking, it always leads back to this boiler room, which is like Freddy's haven. This is like his playground. This is his turf. You know, if we're taking it to the boiler room, we're now on Freddy's turf. Right. We're we're operating on his terms. Yeah. And like that boiler room scene, um, they actually filmed in a real boiler room. I think it was the Lincoln Heights jail in LA. Okay. Right. Yeah, so it was like it was like a real thing. It wasn't like a set that they built. That must have been super creepy then. That's what I'm saying. So like, yes, it is in the Lincoln Heights jail in the basement lincoln heights jail in los angeles so um soon after shooting ended the building was condemned because of asbestos so um that adds to some fear because mesothelioma is not a joke (laughs) that is not a joke Uh, there's plenty of people who have won plenty of lawsuits because of mesothelioma that's that's what i'm saying it's all Um, lawsuits man i wonder if if heather langingham got any of that lawsuit money from being in that basement jail I sure hope she never had mesothelioma because she is a national treasure, if you were to ask me. Yeah. Um, the I mean, movie the movie Nancy Watches is Try to Stay Awake is one of my favorites of all time, The Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, which I thought was a funny little thing. Wait, what what is this that you're speaking of? The okay. So when Nancy's trying to stay awake and she's got her pot of coffee and she's like in her room oh, like yeah, watching yeah, yeah. TV, like on her cute little her cute little like black and white guy, you know, yeah, she's watching The Evil Dead. Is she really? Yeah, yeah. I did not catch that, and I have seen yeah. Evil Dead many times. Um, because Sam Raimi had previously included a poster of Craven's second film, The Hills Have Eyes, in a scene in The Evil Dead. So they're just doing horror best friend stuff. Oh my god, Easter eggs abound. Easter eggs abound. So, yeah. So Nancy burns herself to wake up, which smart, very smart. Yes. Um, and then she has like tangible proof that something did happen because, like, even after she runs out of class, you know, screaming and Lynn shaves, like, you need a hall pass. So like, she does not have any idea how to like deal with her you know, emotional turmoil in the wake of her friend dying, she just yells, you need a hall pass, you can't just leave. And she's like, fuck you. Like, I'm gonna do what I want because, like, I'm scared and I need, like, I need some sort of reassurance. So, doing that thing, she's got the burn and, like, it's still there. It's real. Right. It really happened. This is, like, the first time that she's really turning a corner and being like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Right. Okay. So then, so then from, from that experience, she, she said, she promises her teacher she's going to go straight home, but of course she doesn't. She goes to the jail to talk to Rod. And this is where Rod confirms that he also was having dreams about a guy with knife fingers in a dirty red and green sweater. And that's where, like, honestly, like she, she backs up and like Rod's like, do you believe me? And the way she says yes could go either way. So I do feel bad for Rod in that moment because I feel like Nancy's having a lot of, you know, pistons fire in her head. And that's how the word yes came out to him. Um, But I feel like I would have been like, wait, 
are you scared of me so you're backing out of the room because you think I actually did do it? Or do you actually believe me and are you going to go try to figure out what happened? Like, a lot of mixed messages there. I would have been really stressed out if I was Rod. Number one, I'm already in jail. Number two, I don't know what's going on with this girl. Like, Also, like, where are his parents? You know what I mean? Like, he's still a teenager. Yeah. That guy needs some parental guidance. Like, he's scared shitless. He's being accused of somebody's murder. There's no one in his corner. And, like, you just kind of, like, at least I did. I, I started to feel for this guy that, like, you know, was seemingly looks like dealt some shitty cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was just a, he's just victim of circumstance at that point. I mean, in, in many ways he is. But, he, he yeah, he's the only character whose parents, or at least one parent... Uh, we don't meet. We we met Tina's mother. We meet Glenn's mother and father. Um, and then, of course, we obviously know the hot mess that is Nancy's parents. And, like, uh, going off on what, what he was saying about, like, Freddie's red and green, specifically dirty sweater... Um, Craven designed that sweater after reading in Scientific um, Scientific American, words are hard, that the human eye has difficulty recognizing those particular shades of red and green side by side. Therefore, looking at it is subliminally unsettling. Right. So that really raises a question of Christmas, like red and green. Right. Why everyone's so stressed out. That could be because the red and green, like... It, it's unsettling to look at one yeah. um yeah. at least it, specifically those shades together i mean i have another fun fact about freddy krueger Wes craven named the character freddy krueger after a childhood bully of his named freddy krueger he did he did and uh- um Wes craven i think is actually from Ohio. I cannot confirm or deny this claim. Quick um, Google search. But I'm just gonna say I'm sure that quick Google search. Papa, let's go to the Googles. Yeah, I thought I had read this somewhere, so oh, I was pretty. Guess sure. where? Guess where Craven was born? Is it Cleveland? Yes, it's Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought I'd read somewhere because yeah. you know, you know, I miss him. I wish he. I wish he didn't die. He yeah. was young. He was 76. I mean, he definitely lived a really good life. You know? Yeah, but he's from Cleveland. So when you're here in high, how many? Five weeks? Four weeks? Yeah, soon. We are going to try and find out where he lived. Yes. I will do some Googling and we'll drive by that part of Cleveland and find his house. And that's that's the kind of thing I like to do because I'm creepy and I'm weird. And, well, obviously. You know, yeah. I mean, without Wes Craven, we basically wouldn't be here. I mean, Scream, Hi. Um, yeah. Nightmare yeah. on the Street, The Hills of Eyes, The Last House, The Last House on the Left. Left House on the Left. Yeah. I mean, not a fan of Last House on the Left, but I mean, that's for other reasons. Yeah. That's a triggering movie for some. I can understand that. Whew. It's a, it's a tough, tough egg to crack. But, um, you know, Wes Craven, what a guy. He's like the grandpapa of like all the things that we love about horror and all the rules that have been since implemented. Yeah, like movies. 
making fun of itself and all that stuff and yeah so west craven cleveland native that's what yeah. i thought so i'm glad we could confirm that via the wikipedia you internet okay so she like went and visited rod at the jail and her like dad is like being a turd right like just like don't talk to him like he's he's a murderer and she's like you don't specifically know that for sure but like she's not really like you said she's on the fence she doesn't know whether to believe him or not but like that's also her being like fuck you dad i don't want to listen to you right but what she does know is that she needs to figure out who this guy that everyone is dreaming about you know is so now she hatches this plan to fall asleep in a safe environment a la glenn being there to wake her up if she starts to look like she's having a nightmare going back to the glenn being useless thing he promises her this and then ends up falling asleep. So she needs to wake herself up again. Luckily, her uh, alarm goes off. Um, so she must have had the foresight to be like, I need a plan B just in case my useless boyfriend doesn't help me out here. So like, because it was the middle of the night when that alarm went off. So her alarm was not set intentionally to like go to school the next day or something. Like she must have been like this is my plan b if i need to get out this is going to wake me up so from from this dream what does she accomplish from this dream really um nothing she is just kind of like establishing further that he does exist and that brings us to the sleep study right but so in that dream i'm just realizing what she does see is the premonition of Freddie going to Rod in the jail and 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 killing him. So I think that's because right because so then she wakes up and she's like, Glenn, you're a bitch. We gotta get to the station. And remember they go back in the middle of the night and her father's still there and she's like, "The fuck you doing here? I thought you were at home in bed with your wife slash my mother, but no, you're still at work. You're a horrible person." And while they're arguing about Nancy being able to see Rod. Freddie kills him. So, you know, just again, a full breakdown of something that could have been avoided, mainly because, and the running theme here is that the adults in this movie don't believe the kids. And I know that this movie was originally based on an article that Wes Craven saw in some, I don't know which country, but an Asian country's newspaper where a boy mysteriously died in his sleep and when his parents like found all this out they found that he was hiding a coffee machine in his closet and he had an extension cord to brew coffee there in his room when his parents wouldn't find out and he had like stashes of you know um stay awake drugs or whatever (laughs) right probably the shit that like truckers use like like, uh, I mean, like, truckers are big on using meth to stay awake. But that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, the thing I read about this kid also was that he was, like, a refugee or something. So, like, hi, that's also a very high-stress situation for anybody. Right. So, um, yeah, this is based on a teenager from Khmer. K-H-M-E-R. I don't know how to pronounce that, and I'm sorry if I offended anybody somewhere in like india or where is it or maybe the middle east let's take a gander but yeah like he had experienced horror dreams kept him awake and subsequently he ended up dying so mer empire 
South China Sea, Gulf of Thailand. You would think that I would know this shit because, like, hi, this is, like, um, for those of you who don't know me, I work for a company that handles international imports and exports. So, it, it, yeah. It appears that this is somewhere in uh, Asian India. So, like, India. Yeah. Uh, like maybe like Sri Lanka area, like over there. I don't know. We do we do like exports to like Thailand and stuff a lot. But uh, in, yeah. In typical in typical fashion, we only prepare to a point on this podcast, and then you get live Google updates while you are enjoying the listening pleasure that is this show. So it's you're a, welcome. It's a, it is affiliated with Cambodia. Okay. All right, so now we know where we are. Yeah, so basically a Cambodian refugee was experiencing these, you know, not these specifically horror dreams, but, like, he was experiencing um, nightmares probably brought upon being, like, stressed out about being a refugee. That's not a fun situation for anybody. Her dad is a piece of shit. That's basically what her dad is. He's a piece of shit. He doesn't show any sort of like, emotional connection with her whatsoever, or any other sort of human. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what his fucking deal is, other than he's just, um, bad dad. Yeah, it's disappointing. He's disappointing. You know, she wakes up, she's like, Glenn, you piece of shit, you had one job to do, and you failed. But because it's convenient to have him around, she doesn't kick him out. Or maybe not. Maybe she actually likes him, we don't know. But, I mean, she was pissed. She's at least fond of him enough to keep him around, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And it's also convenient, you know, that they live across the street from each other. But so now her mom is like, bitch, you going crazy. Let's do the sleep study. I mean, I guess I can see where Nancy's coming from, where she's like, all right, let's just do this. Because, like, number one, it'll shut up my mom. Number two, like, you're in a hospital, so, like... If something does start to look like something's up, they're gonna they're gonna be able to help you out. Um, right, at least from a medical standpoint too. Like you have more than just one person checking you out and making sure you're okay. They're you know moderating, moderate monitoring. Oh, Jesus H Christ, her heart rate. Uh huh. And um, hi. Do you have any experience as a medical professional with sleep studies? Um. You know that my brain immediately while watching this scene went to, is this medically accurate? Always. Um, That's why I ask you. This is right. this goes to our segment of, is this medically accurate? Can we have like a sweet jingle? Like, ba da Yeah, like, is this medically accurate? Probably um, not. <laughs> so in my head, I was like, this bullshit. But then I did realize something. This is 1984. Sure. So technology was not where it is now. Um, I've never had a sleep study myself, but I I do know that the placement of all the sensors, there are going to be some like on the temple. I think just look at the brain waves and all that, but I don't know why they would have put one down by her lip. Like that just seemed odd to me. I thought Um, so too. That's why I asked. I mean, of course, I'm not a doctor. I'm a medical professional. I'm a genetic counselor. So um, our email address is copulatorsdiefirstpodcast at gmail.com. If there's a doctor out there listening that, you know, wants to confirm or correct us here. But I don't think it's completely medically accurate. But I think for 1984, the way that they were reading everything on the computer and then they had the what I believe is called like a steneograph or something the thing that you know does the lines like the cha-cha-cha-cha yeah 
Um, I think all that is probably pretty <laughs> accurate. Can I commend your sound effects really quick? That was great. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, they should hire you for sound effects for, you know, stenographs. Ooh, wonderful. <laughs> big money maker there. I can yes. get job. Um, um, you could at least buy Starbucks. Ooh, Starbucks. <laughs> um, yeah, but so, you know, as expected, she encounters Freddie in her dream. Um, and then what is different here is, number one, she has that cut on her arm. So, like, now there's been, like, physical contact between her and Freddie. But she pulls the hat out from under the sheet. So I'm like, bitch, where was Freddie on your body that you pulled out this hat and it's, like, in your crotchal area? Um, it's implied. Also, the guy that plays the maybe doctor, at least the sleep tech, uh-huh. Charles Fleischer. Ooh, oh, okay, I, continue. Do you know who Charles Fleischer is? No, continue. Oh, Charles Fleischer is a comedian, um, and he voices the character from one of my favorite all-time childhood movies. Roger Rabbit. Oh, okay. See, um, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I no, forget I'm sorry which... it was less exciting, but well, no. it excited me. So I forget which movie it is now, but there's a horror movie where somebody that plays some type of medical technician ended up being a serial killer. And I'm realizing <gasps> now, after the fact, that it's not A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. I need to find that out because that's right in my wheelhouse. But anyway, continue. So we're like, we're... I think it might be The Exorcist, actually. <gasps> no. I believe so. Um, anyway, uh, figure that out. And so, yeah. And 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 then, uh, again, boss-ass bitch, this guy is, like, about to give her sedative. And she's like, get that away from my face. And she, like, drop kicks him. <laughs> and that was wonderful. And I was like, she yeah. is taking control of her life and her body. And I love it. Um. And so now they go home. Her mom's, like, being a full-on hot-ass mess now. And, like, I do understand. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress going on. What are you going to do? Um, but this this morning when I was watching it, she, like, hides whatever she was holding behind her. And I was like, it looks like a spray bottle of cleaning solution. What is it? Like, I don't understand what she's doing. Right. And I realize, oh, it's it's vodka. That's what it is. So she's Why hiding- not? She's hiding from her daughter that she's drinking actively again. Also, Um, she's smoking in the hospital. Oh, my God. That's true. She's smoking in the room with the tech. Um, Secondhand Smoke, 1984. Um, This movie also was filmed and came out before either of us were alive. This is very true. Yeah. Which is a fun little fact. Fun fact about life. (laughs) um so yeah so um heather's mom is a barely well heather nancy her mom is a barely functioning alcoholic as in you know she needs her 17 year old child to put her to bed yeah and so this is like the first time where we really see nancy being like i will have none of your bullshit because you have no authority over me given your current choices in life choices and and choices indeed uh where's tatiana when you need her but probably um, at club 96 oh my god i wish she was i wish they would i wish they would really make a club 96 club 96 club 96 
<laughs> but yeah, so so like she is like, oh, bitch, you're drinking again. Like, what the fuck? And so her mom's like basically lying to her about how she's clearly concerned, but she's not concerned. And she clearly knows something, but actually she doesn't know something. And Nancy's like, I'm not having this bullshit. And she throws the vodka bottle on the floor. And then she storms out. And she says one of my other favorite lines to her mother. She goes, that's enough. And she just (gasps) walks out. And I'm like, bitch, taking control of the situation. Like, I am done here. You have no power over me. Shut the fuck up. I am gone. And I'm just like, this girl, this Nancy is every woman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all in Nancy. <laughs> um, but of course, now, unfortunately, her mom in her like drunk stupor, I guess, like, I don't know, but somehow she manages to get, I'm assuming, some type of physical laborers over to the house to install bars on all the windows. Um, what a weird thing to do. Like, where did she look for that? Angie's List? Like, I, I, Angie's List was definitely not around in 1984. Nope. Um, but Yellow like, pages. Also, like, I understand wanting to keep your daughter safe and you feel like my daughter is cuckoo, bananas. Um, she needs to stay in the house. Here's an idea. Just get the lock changed on the door and don't give her a key. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've made significant physical changes to the exterior appearance of your house. That's um, going to decrease that property value real quick. And like for no good reason, really. Like, did you think your daughter was going to jump out the window and like try to kill herself or something? Nancy has shown no suicidal thoughts whatsoever. Um. Also, that's like. A fucking fire hazard, if I've ever seen one. True. Because there is no easily accessible way out of this house now. No. And uh, fire hazard, hello, as we go along in this journey, there will be a fire. You're welcome. So, hi. Um, so, you know, at this point, she's like, the fuck is going on? Nancy goes off. She's concocting a new plan. Um, she sees Glenn. Glenn's having like a burger and fries. And all I could think to myself was, did Nancy not want anything? Because she did not get any food. Like, did he even offer? Probably not. So he's eating on this bridge. She's there with him. And she's reading this book about like booby trapping your house. <laughs> booby um, traps. And, and I do boobies. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm 12, sorry. Uh, um, (laughs) I I appreciate her tenacity because she basically home alones Freddy Krueger. Do you know? Oh, she totally does. Like, she makes those, she sets that trap to keep him in, like, a physical sense. And then, like, once she has pulled him physically into the real world, then she has actually booby-trapped her real house in the real world with home alone-esque Booby traps. I no paint cans. <laughs> Stop. Um, uh, instead of yeah. traps, just boobies. But that would have boobies. Um, and so, like, that works out really well. Which, like, there was probably, like, a one in a million chance this whole plan was going to work. So, good on you, Nancy, that it worked. Um, but basically, before all that happens, she goes home again after watching her boyfriend eat on a bridge. 
you know, as you do. Right. Yeah. Um, and her mom's like, I can't take it anymore. I must tell you what happened. So she takes her down to the basement and she like pulls this thing out of their boiler. What well, I'm assuming it's their boiler. Um, and it's Freddie's glove. Now, I don't know much about home ownership or boilers or no, maybe someday anything. we'll know. Right. Um, I, I, I hope, I hope I do. Um, <laughs> but I don't, don't you think that like shoving something up into your hot water heater or your boiler for heat, like whatever it is that would, that would cause a problem over time. Like, I don't know. I, it doesn't sound safe. Right. So, and, and there's plenty of other places she could have hid this glove why did you hide it in your house if this was such a psychologically scarring experience for you as a mother? Why would you want the knowledge of knowing that the one physical remnant of this man who was a, quote, filthy child murderer um, to be in your house? I don't get that. Yeah, I don't. I feel like a lot of um Nancy's mom's choices yeah are are not the best yeah and they're she... not they're not in the best interest of her child no and it's more of like um like i was complicit to this horrible thing that happened to a horrible person or a justifiable thing that happened to a horrible person but like that's like her stashing away her guilt you know what i mean and that's probably where her excessive drinking comes from like right. stashing away the guilt associated with, you know, herself being her, a murderer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like, I, I get that. Like, she's numbing the pain. She's making the knowledge go away. Like, yes, it's a coping mechanism. 100% get that. But, like, this bitch needs a life coach. Like, girl. So, anyway. Nancy's mom is like, this is what happened. Um... And he got off because of a technicality. So we were like, we have to take it into our own hands. And then all the pieces start clicking together because they went to this place where he used to take his victims, which was a boiler room of an old building. And so they see an opportunity and they act on it by burning the building down with him inside. So That's now, how he gets his iconic scars that took three hours a day to apply. Yeah. And I mean, if I was Robert England, I mean, obviously for the other movies, not so much. But for this one specifically, we don't ever really get a super clear shot of Freddy the entire time. Like, he's much more an entity that's just around than, like, a full-on character of the right. Movie. He's he's in the shadows, yeah. especially in that one scene with the lamb and or goat, right? Um, in the alleyway, and like he's the threat is more of, you know, he, there's not a physical person associated with that, and I think they did a really good job of doing that with not necessarily having like a physical person there all of the time. Yeah, and and so, you know, we never really get a fully super clear picture of what the prosthetics in the first movie looked like. But, you know, again, a la the Never Sleep Again 
documentary, there was a lot of um, redesigning of the prosthetics from the first to the second movie, etc. Sure. Um, so maybe they shot a lot of it like that, not only for the suspense and the scariness of it, but maybe the prosthetics just didn't look super great. Yeah, especially like in post when they were cutting it together, it probably kind of looked like goopy and sloppy. And I mean, it was made of six large pieces. Mm -hmm. So maybe they, you know, cut them differently for their for the follow up films. And, you know, maybe they fit him better. I don't know. Yeah. And listeners, this is all conjecture. So we don't know. Um, We're just hypothesizing here. But regardless. So now Nancy's like, okay, shit is real. I'm pretty convinced that it was Freddie that killed Tina. Um, and at this point has also killed Rod. Um, so I'm a booby trap my house. I'm a be Kevin McAllister home alone up in here. Um, even though that movie came out a lot later than this movie, but whatever. Um, and she's like, and then I'm going to fall asleep and I'm going to meet him on his playing field and I'm going to pull him into the real world. Now, this is a very complicated plan, um, but she pulls it off. So um, before we get to the climax and ultimately the conclusion of this movie, we need to talk about Glenn's death. Right. Um, His bed, I've been waiting to say this for like three days. I'm so excited. It's not his bed's fault that it has a wide set vagina and a heavy flow. Oh. Okay. Okay. Thank you. She was in that burn book. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn's bed. Oh, do you think he's the Glenn Coco? Oh my God, he's Glenn Coco. More blood for you, Glenn Coco. None oh for you, God. Gretchen Wiener. What are the odds? We just cracked <laughs> the code. Um, especially because we don't see Glenn Coco. Yeah, especially. Um, it's 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 Glenn's ghost. That's who Glenn Coco is. Oh, and he gets four candy canes. You go, Glenn Coco. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he. They probably all feel bad because he died in a real bad way. Oh my God, candy canes Christmas. It's all true. It must be. Absolutely. It's, it's all true. This is hard hitting reality facts, people, that we have discovered and uncovered here. Um. Thanks, so, Tina Fey. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. I need to actually, legitimately, I would take thank Tina Fey every day of my life just because. Thanks, Lemon. Uh, love you. So, Glenn's wide-set vagina. Uh, well, his bed. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Again, uh, Never Sleep Again documentary. I cannot say enough how much that if you are a fan of this franchise, you should watch it because it is really freaking good. Um, this is the other time they used that 360 room. Um, but basically, any of the blood like shooting up was actually people- pouring down. Yeah, pouring buckets down. And uh, I guess they hadn't fully, you know, calculated all of the things, thought it through all the way because they threw so much liquid through the hole in the bed at once that the room started shifting. <laughs> it threw so much liquid through the hole. <laughs> yeah, it's just too much liquid in that. That hole could not take all that liquid, girl. It's Glenn's wide set vagina bed. Yeah. Glenn's <laughs> needs, wide set vagina bed. Yeah, he needs a he needs a uh, super tampon. Is that what it was? 
Oh my god, yeah, it needs like a super duper tampon. Um, but, but also, sidebar, just a delicate shout out to my good friend Sarah Graziano because she just actually watched this film for the first time in the last couple weeks. Oh, she, She's dipping her toes into the horror genre and I'd like to... Um, kind of give us credit for that because i was like hey let's we're gonna you know she was one of the first people i talked to and about doing this podcast and she's like dude you should do it so thanks for always being our cheerleader but yeah she had texted me and was like i just watched this movie what happened in that room were they upside down and i was like no they actually had like a 360 room or like they had built it upside down kind of thing so yeah um, but so the unfortunate, it's not unfortunate. It's just like a oopsie doopsie. Um, <laughs> oopsie, too much liquid. Yeah. So the room shifted a little bit because of all the liquid and also because there was nowhere to drain it to. So like it's sloshing around, but then the room had actual electricity hooked up to it. So one of the cameramen who was getting like the B shots got, oh, he got shocked because the liquid hit. I believe it's the light fixture on the ceiling. Yeah. Um. It, obviously, the liquid hits that, and he got a shock from it. And he like, f- like he like it was enough of a shock that he like fell off of the room. Yeah, I um, mean because liquid is a conductor, and he probably was not wearing like anything rubber. that could have ground him. Yeah, rubber specifically. Um, um, yeah, for, that's terrifying. Um. But I uh, from from the documentary, uh, he does survive it was just a you know for lack of a better term a shock if you will <laughs> ha i like that, that was good. <laughs> yeah. um but so yeah so they they weren't prepared for the liquid to go through the hole in the bed as quick as it did so they had to like rewind a little bit like if you look at the scene like it does seem like a little bit is like where did all the liquid go um Regardless, it was a brilliant, brilliant effect for its time. Yes. Um, a lot of work went into that, too, because you basically have to build the whole set upside down. Right, exactly. So, like, they made this room, then they're like, let's flip it upside down, boo. Um, but then also, the conclusion of the scene was supposed to be Glenn's body coming back out of the hole and, like, plopping onto the bed, like, all <laughs> bloody and, like, no skin or whatever. Right, like um, just um, what's the term? Degloved. Yes, yes, um, exactly. Uh, I don't, I don't recall why that didn't happen. I don't know if they just like saw it in action and they were like, nah, um, or whatever. But that was the original intent. Um, Could also be budget and timing because they shot this film from beginning to end in 32 days. So it took them three hours a day to put Robert Englund's makeup on. So imagine doing a whole body of like tendons and stuff. So that probably would have taken like almost a half a day, basically. So probably real early every morning. Right. Probably a ton of time constraints, too. So, I mean, that makes sense. Right, so then, um, cha 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 cha, cha cha heels. Um, oh, divine, hi. <laughs> um, so you know, so Glenn's, Glenn's oh, dead body, right? And 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 while he's getting sucked into the bed, I really thought it was comical and I loved it how like everything attached to him also got sucked into the bed with him. So, so like the whole TV goes into the bed, 
his record player that's on the other table gets completely dragged across <laughs> and into the bed and goes down with him as well. So, you know, wherever his soul ended up, at least he had his music and his TV with him still, you know? Yeah, ended up in Glenn's bed's wide-set vagina, just yeah. taking it all in. Just taking it all in. <laughs> um, yeah, so, ugh. It's, it's an iconic moment. That's going to be a joke that I'm going to take with me to the grave. So thank you. You are very (laughs) welcome. Um, We actually have a Nightmare on Elm Street poster in our living. Well, it's like a, it's not a, it's not a poster. It's a print um, by an artist, but it's like of the room dripping with blood and stuff. Yes, I've seen it in that photo you sent me of your living room set up. Yep. And I sent you the, have I sent you the one in my bathroom? No, I don't think oh, so. Oh my goodness. So um I'll send it to you so you can post it to our Instagram. But um uh, it is actually a print of the Japanese um theatrical poster. Oh yeah, Japanese posters are like oddly very graphic sometimes. Yeah, it's very weird and it's very 80s, like there's a lot of geometric shapes. Um but it has like a tiny little blip at the bottom of the iconic scene of Nancy in the tub. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about. Th- oh my god! Can we do that really quick? Backtrack. Yes. Sorry, everybody. Nancy in the tub is one of the most iconic scenes, in in my opinion, and I'm sure in yours as well. Yes. Of anything in horror, like you it's see so that good. on a poster, you see that on the internet, you see that in film, and you know exactly what that's from, whether yeah. or not you have seen this movie. And it like, it super cemented the fact that like, as soon as you go to sleep, you're his game. It's also the placement of where his hand is coming out of the water, like really drives home the hypersexual nature of Fred- Frederick Krueger. Oh yeah, absolutely. Frederick is a gross man. Yeah, he's a um, he's a dom, a dirty old man. Ooh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, that there's also an interesting story there from Heather Langenkamp in the Never Sleep Again uh, documentary because basically it was a small pool. Um, where there was a diver underneath her with a glove on. Um, and that's obviously how they got this shot. But then also when she got pulled through and was like floating in the water, that was a little pool as well. Um, but, you know, like, apparently it was very, very, very cold in that little pool. Yes. So, like, she was just like, bitch, this has got to get done and, like, that glove is heavy because, like, um, Robert England says a couple of times, like, the whole, like, Freddy gate with, like, the one slouching shoulder, like, a lot of that happened just organically because the glove was so heavy. Right. So I feel for this diver who's, like, in this cold water and then having to, like, push his one hand up through this girl's legs. Like, it must have just been a very uncomfortable situation for both of them. All around. But, like, man, iconic piece of cinema that, like, I'm so glad exists and that, like, we've seen it and we're talking about it and hopefully, you know, this ends up in the time capsule of cinema. Right, absolutely. To where, you know, future generations that do want to dabble in watching horror movies and, like, Maybe younger listeners, if we end up obtaining them, there's no way to tell. They 
decide to watch this movie and it's super dated like they're gonna be like what the fuck is that is that like a you know a record player is that a vcr why does that tv not have a remote like where's the wi-fi yeah yeah Yeah. but like this movie man i'm so glad we're we're doing this because this is basically encapsulating the women in horror month in the month of february this is it this is the penultimate women in horror with one of the most strong female protagonists in 80s horror. Nancy. Yeah. So Nancy is taken taken Frederick by the balls, if you would. Oh, right. And she's, she's really, you know, shit up the boob traps. And she's really going to make this motherfucker pay for basically killing everybody she knows. Yeah. But there's a thing. There's a thing? Nancy's mom. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And Freddie. So, yeah, that's... I do believe that that effect is one of the things that Wes Craven was... Wes Craven? Wes Craven. I do believe it's one of the things that Wes was saying that, like, <laughs> all of the effects with the mom, not only the bed thing, but also, like, right at the end, which we'll get to. Yes. Um, he was like, those were the most hokey, and I regret them the most. <gasps> I am so sad that I can't write him a letter, but maybe we can write him a letter in our minds thanking him for those hokey things because, oh my god, they're just so cool. Like, it's just cool to look at. It's a cool visual. Like, it feels organic in a way, but it, like, it makes you question, like, what the fuck was he thinking when he decided to do that? Like, that's so weird and silly. Like, Uh, and I feel like that also sets up the tone for the weird, silly nature that occurs with Freddy in, in later films. Right. And and I think that probably for this movie, you know, the whole idea was if if he can't have Nancy, he's going to get the best next thing and get somebody close to her. Right. Um, and, I mean, he's just be At this point, Freddy's just being a spiteful bitch. Um, yeah. Yep. But, I mean, also... You know, Nancy's mom was one of the individuals who ultimately did kill him in the first place. So maybe it was also revenge. You know, he saw an opportunity um, and he took it. But I mean, so yeah. So now Nancy has effectively pulled Freddie out of the dream into the real world. He is here and, you know, living. And then there's the... You know, the imagery of Nancy setting him on fire again in the basement. And it's like probably him living his, no pun intended, worst nightmare all over (laughs) again. Um, And then finally, when the house is on fire and smoking, she finally gets her dad to come over. What a douche. Because the whole time he's just across the street, you know, um, investigating this wide set vagina murder. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so good okay continue i'm sorry um no no, no. so and like <laughs> it's just like continue and like also like continuously nancy is like dad something weird is going on how do you not walk into a room where a person has been basically liquefied all over the walls and you're not like oh yeah this is weird and my my daughter, like, she is now beyond just being cuckoo crazy. Like, she is 100% saying that there's something wrong. Like, 
even if your daughter is kukulala crazy, at least listen to her for a minute because you should have respect for your own fucking child. Like, yeah, at least use the resources that you have as, you know, like a fucking parent. Right. And like, just listen, (laughs) listening and hearing are different things. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to say that. Mm-hmm. He has been hearing her this whole movie yeah. and not doing a whole lot of listening. Absolutely not. All he wants to do is hear his own fucking mouth, blah, 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 about how he is man and he is right. And What a man. He's such a fucking man. Um, but yeah, so finally, like, oh my God, my house with my daughter inside of it is on fire. Let me finally go and see what's happening. And then... He and Nancy walk into the room with Freddie, basically, like, on top of her. Like, I don't know, strangling her or something. There's no real, there's no real, like, um, explanation of what's going on there. But again, it looks hypersexualized. Right. Like, he could, yeah, he could have been doing gross things. But, I mean, so, so, and then there's this, like, super burnt skeleton that sinks into the bed and, you know, apparently goes into... The dream world, if you will. Um, so weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's like, and it's like an oddly melancholy moment because this is like just after Nancy has tucked her own mother into bed, and she like says these one-time wise words of, you know, I should have said something sooner because you're not the type of person to avoid issues you face them head on and I should have realized that and um you know I'm gonna finally deal with my drinking and all these things and then like oops never mind I'm dead bah, bah, bah. Yeah. um but so like I love how Nancy's like hey dad do you believe me now because your motherfucking wife just got like burn strangle raped by Freddy Krueger guy but also, I've seen slash watch a ton of true crime. His ass is on the chopping block as being the murderer because they always go to the spouse first. Just saying. Well, right. I mean, I, there's gonna <laughs> be no, there, there's no body is the only yeah. issue. Um, because it sinks into the bed and goes somewhere that we do not comprehend as humans. I guess, like, I um, don't know. There's also like a cool, um, like they probably put some like twinkle lights in that bed like some white twinkle lights so she goes to wherever christmas goes when you pack it away for the year just like yeah yeah it's like goodbye cruel world goodbye and then we have the other stretchy effect of now freddy krueger like being birthed from the bed and like almost ripping open the sheets like a placenta or something oh yes an amniotic an amniotic sack not the placenta um (laughs) But like, thanks. thanks, medical professional. You're welcome. But it's it's very much a birthing moment. And then Nancy's like, you know what? But like, also, here's my question. <laughs> like, what what has pushed her to finally be like, I I take back all the energy I gave you. Um, I'm not scared of you anymore. Your mom just got killed. Like, why are you now not scared of this guy anymore? Um because like the worst thing that like could happen that could happen like um i don't mean to get really in depth but like in my opinion other than the death of a child i feel like death of a parent is probably the worst thing that could happen to you 
Yeah. No, so I'm- like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you basically witnessed your best friend die. Yeah. Like so, he's taken everything that he can from her. So she's not afraid anymore. There's yeah. nothing to be afraid of because he's taken everything. So fuck it. She's putting on her, you know, strapping her big girl boots on and she's going to kick some ass. Yeah. So she's like, you know what? I'm not scared of you anymore. Um, uh, You know, I beseech thee. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> I bind you, Freddie. I bind you, Freddie. Could you imagine? I I just did, and it's wonderful. I would watch. I would watch that. Oh my god, a crossover would have been fantastic. That would have been great. Um, and sidebar to that, my wife Lan did confirm that a craft reboot is in in the works. Confirmed as of maybe two hours ago when she called me into our office with a similar sound that you just made and said they're doing a reboot. I'm I'm all up for like things when they're gonna be good, but you know they're gonna like extra this and like there's gonna like they're gonna diversify the cast and like that's and again, great. I want that, but yeah. I don't. If it's perfect, don't fuck with it. Because what they're gonna do is make one of them a lesbian. And there's gonna be a whole lesbian like Chris. side thing, and like as much as I'm up for the L word and whatnot, like it's the craft. We don't need that extra stuff leave it alone okay so leave it alone in general so anyway um right so now freddie is like oh my god what is happening to me and then he like disappears into this like twinkly human looking blob and it's because ultimately he only has power within the dreams so if his power is gone then that's the end so that's literally that. literally the end that's it um and that is the end because and then so and then there's this final scene like she opens the bedroom door and instead of her like walking into the hallway now she has basically essentially opened up the door to this new day and it's foggy her mom is there even though she was just dead a second ago and she's talking about how the fog will burn off and it's just like it's very rando. Um, and I completely understand that at the time there was no intention and or, you know, thought that a sequel would happen. Um, so they wanted to, like, round it out in some manner. Um, but I, I do know that there was more than one version of the end. And this was the version of the end that wasn't everyone's favorite. Um mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I I do. It's confusing because Nancy says something in the climax where she's just about to make Freddy disappear, where she says that she realizes this is all a dream and she takes all her energy back and, you know, fuck you. Um, So then, like, you're almost for a second made to believe that this whole movie has been Nancy's dream and she's finally, like, actually waking up. But then... It's this weird, like, super duper, like, candy, cotton candy, hearts and bubbles, like, day. And, um... Very vaseline on the lens, too. Very, very, very much so that. And so, like, she's, like, essentially, like, for lack of any other term, like, jovially, like, almost skipping to the car to meet her friends in the car. And then the um 
the hood goes up and it's Freddie colored. Um, and now she's realizing like, wait, this is not the end. But then it's like, what? So then my question is like, what is the end? Like, what is the, what is the purpose of it? What are we meant to believe? Like that it's, that it's a loop that Freddie is not gone. Um, that like who, what? I don't know. Um, maybe that he isn't gone, but he has returned to his dream, dream realm, but, like, the impending threat is still there. Like, he's taking a break from Nancy from here on out, but, like, so in that break, but he's like, I'm still here. Like, you didn't get rid of me. So, mm-hmm. like, watch your ass. Right, but then it's like, is she asleep? Is she dreaming? Is this real? Like, we don't know. And then there's, like, you know, the creepy children doing the... um, My favorite. The hopscotch song and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, And then there's the other hokey mom effect where her clearly blow-up body gets pulled through the small window in the door. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Right. Just, like... Sucked right through. one, One foul swoop. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I really love this movie, but I will say that the ending really, really confuses me. Like, I still don't know if I can fully wrap my head around it because it almost really makes no sense to me. Um, I agree. Yeah. And obviously, as we all know now, because it's 2019 and not 1984, this was not the end of this franchise. Well, it wasn't a franchise yet. It was one movie. But this is not the end of Freddy Krueger because there are many franchised sequels to come, darling. And we so, will, we'll get to those. Um, so slide, uh, in, slide into the DMs and let us know what... I mean, we don't necessarily have to go in order. We can cover whatever ones. Because there are definitely some in the franchise that are, like, weird and stupid and, like, hold no water. But, like, you know, we can we can talk about those in the sense of, like, we know they're bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're they're not great. And, and I think, um, you know, I love the second one. It's definitely, like, one of the gayest horror movies of all time, kind of by accident in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's I don't basically want... the catalyst for this this whole podcast. Oh yeah, because we were talking about how gay it was. Um, yes, we're like we're gays and we like horror. Let's do gay things with horror. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I want to cover that one next in the series, just because it doesn't have anything else to do with the rest of the series, really. Right. So, you know, we can do that whenever we want. Um, yeah. But regardless, that is. One of the greatest horror movies of all time, especially with, you know, one of the biggest well-known horror villains of all time, Freddy Krueger, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Where do you want to go pumpkin-wise? Talk to me. Oh, I mean, it, it's so good. Like, I, out of five pumpkins, I definitely give this five. Like, it earns its score in spades. Um, I'm gonna have to agree, especially because I marked my body forever, yeah. um, with Freddy Krueger's face. Like, I, I don't fuck around with stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> in the coming weeks, there are gonna be some cool things happening with Nick and I. You guys are just gonna have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, we're gonna keep you in suspense. In, in the suspense. Um, but, so we have a combined score, 5-5. Five, 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 yeah, five pumpkins. So- 
So ultimately, this technically gets a 10 out of 10. Hey, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, yeah, no, this is a really like, obviously, like, if anyone was doing anything horror related, like they would have to include a nightmare on Elm Street, like, they have to. Right. And I think out of all the major franchises, this is one of the only franchises where the first like virgin sailing ship of the whole franchise holds up to everything else. Like it's still a standalone fantastic movie. Like there's other franchises where like I could take it or leave it, you know, because maybe it got better as time went on or maybe it's just kind of is outdated now. But like this movie truly to me is like super timeless. Thank you, Wes Craven, for this and all of the other fantastic horror movies that you have created. And and thank you at the culmination of Women in Horror Month for giving us Nancy. I agree. I feel like, you know, this was a really good way to like cap this month out. Um so in in the vein of a franchise uh-huh in the vein of a reboot uh-huh my pick for next week is Ooh. are you ready i i'm i'm excited child's play oh okay that's the good cool one where did you yeah. think i was going i don't know i had no idea but um oh, yeah i also i completely forgot that the trailer dropped for yeah 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 I'm so into it. I'm excited. And very seldomly am I excited for a reboot. But we've talked about that. Yeah. I mean, we could definitely we could definitely talk about this more when we discuss Child's Play. But yes. I think right now the thing I'm most excited about is just Aubrey Plaza. Yes. Yes. Um, um, he, Chucky got a new face. He's, true. He's very plastique. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that to the best of our ability. In the next episode. Yeah, we're coming up on the 10 mark. That's pretty good. But um, you'll be here in about a month. And uh-huh. we're going to have something very special lined up for you guys for the, for that uh, for that episode. Whatever episode that number is. I don't know. I don't know numbers. We're just, just going to like, it's going to be so good. It's going to be all the things. I mean, we don't even really know what it is yet. But when. um, I have an idea. And we'll. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going into this totally, um, totally blind like usual. So with that, keep on creeping on, my little pumpkins, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.